go there with the Lord. And whether it is like you write these things down in a journal and then you burn it or you say them out loud. And honestly, like the shower kind of became my place and I would weep, I would weep um, in the shower and I would say the words out loud, like that were in my heart. And because I didn't, I didn't know where to put them. Like, I didn't know, I, I knew I wasn't supposed to feel those. Like I'm a good Christian girl, right? Like, so I'm supposed to not feel these certain things, but here they are. And like, the Lord can handle that. Welcome everyone to Bringing Kids Home, a TBHC foster care and adoption production. I'm Kristen, TBHC's outreach and communications admin. We are excited you are joining us today to hear stories of adoption and how any one of us, including you, can make a difference in a child's life. Today's podcast is sponsored by Dance Works of Waxahachie. They are transforming lives by using the gift of dance to bring light to the world. Find out more about DanceWorks at danceworkswax.net. We are grateful to DanceWorks for supporting today's stories. Now stick around and hear how stories of faith and family help bring kids home. Hi everyone, I'm Jason Curry, president of TBHC, Foster Care and Adoption. I'm so glad you're with us. My guest today is Aaron and Charity Clayton. The Claytons both spent time growing up in Texas, Charity in DeSoto and Aaron in Terrell. Their family has lived in Waxahachie since 2011, where they have planted and are growing a church called Remedy Church. Aaron has also served as a trustee for TBHC, and they are both stepping back into the world of adoption and are working with us through that process. They have three children. Sam is 13 and was adopted from Kazakhstan. They are also blessed with biological children. Juliet is nine and Valor is seven. One of the things they enjoy doing is traveling as a family, seeing what God is doing in other places on mission and other church plants. The Clayton story exemplifies God's grace through hard things. They join the podcast today because they want to encourage and equip adoptive and foster families. They also want to see more families adopt and foster. Aaron, Charity, thank you so much for sharing your time with me today. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, we're glad to be here. Well, let me roll into a question I know everyone's going to be interested in. Where or what is one of your favorite trips you've had together? Uh, we One of the things we really love to do as a family is travel. So we've been on a few, but um, we actually had the opportunity. We have some friends that live in Southeast Asia, some family actually, and friends. And um, so we got to take our whole crew there just a few years ago. Um, and it's a tropical place that's close to the gospel. And we actually met them, uh, not in their city, but in a resort city for a retreat that they were doing. And so, yeah, it was pretty cool. We traveled with our whole crew on all these international flights um, to this un fairly <laughs> underdeveloped country and uh, got to live through that whole thing with them. Yeah, it was really special to get to take our kiddos with us on this trip let them see a different part of the world and um, got, they were introduced to the Buddhist culture. And also we just enjoyed some beautiful snorkeling around the beach and those things it was pretty special. Yeah, it was cool. Just, I mean, long flights, you know, and uh, dealing with jet lag and uh, we have a great picture. I don't deal well with jet lag as much as I try. It whips me every time. So we've got a great picture of us sitting in a restaurant uh, where my son, my youngest Valor is sitting in my lap and he and I are both asleep sitting <laughs> up at the table at the restaurant. Yeah, that's great. So we got to do all that with them, but uh, they got to travel and see a lot of really cool and some really sad things. And um, 
you know, experience the world, experience life with other kids a little bit in a way that uh, was really cool. Yeah, that's really neat. Well, give me a mommy experience with traveling with little children overseas, though. I mean, there's got to be some good advice you can give a mom that's saying, yeah, that's never going to happen. Yeah, bring grandma. So, <laughs> so we uh, were one-to-one kids to adults. So that was super helpful. We um, packed goodie bags. And I think, you know, half of the flight was nighttime sleeping. So melatonin, your best friend, bringing jammies, try to do the bedtime routine as much as possible while you're there. And, um, and then we just packed like little cheap little things that they could play with. Um, that would usually generally last about an hour. And then at the end, they had like this whole collection of little toys and things like that. But that just kind of kept them like interested. We watched a lot of movies and they played some games and <laughs> those kind of things. My youngest actually, I can't remember if it was two or on the way home, but we landed in Asia. So it had been like a 13 hour flight or something crazy. And um, he looked up from his computer screen and said, Oh, are we here? Like, did we, did we even leave? You know? <laughs> it was just so mesmerized. So the screen helps a little bit. Some of it's survival. You know, we were like trying to yeah. limit screen time and things when we're here. And in that, it's like all bets are off. Yeah. We just got to get there. And I think, I mean, it's like parenting and especially adoptive and foster parenting even, but it's like all about expectations. So we knew they were probably going to fall apart at some point and we just were okay with it, you know, and we were just trying to get there. <laughs> yeah. So it takes a, lot, a little bit of planning and a lot of courage. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> to travel with them? Yeah. That's awesome. Well, tell us your bringing kids home story. Yeah, ours is a, a really interesting and long story. So we'll kind of weave in and out and you may have to, you may want to redirect and get us back on point. <laughs> but it really started, Charity had, um, had in her mind to at least considering adoption since before we were even married and had always was interested and thought that would be something she would like to do. And so when we got married, we started talking about it and I wasn't against it. I just didn't, I'd honestly just never even really considered it. It seemed like something farther away from us and for people who couldn't have biological kids and things like that. Um, and so even when she brought it up, I wasn't against the idea. I just was going, man, I'm okay. I need to start thinking about that, but I'm not there right now. Um, and so we wrestled through it. And kind of had conversations, you know, here and there over time. And, and for some reason, I don't remember why, but it actually started to talk a little bit more. I think maybe she was feeling more like we need to do this. And so we started talking about it a little bit more seriously. And I just, again, wasn't set against it. I just knew it was a big deal. And I said, I don't, I haven't, God hasn't done this in my heart yet. So one day um, I used to work at a church um, up in Cedar Hill. Um, Hillcrest Baptist Church and I had an office that was right off of the gym um, and so I was kind of by myself separated from the other offices and they had a, a kids day program that would come in the gym and just run around and make all kinds of noise and but one day I'm just reading and praying about this and I came across an article where John Piper was talking about when we um, talk about adoption and orphan care we kind of talk about um, rescuing kids or ransoming kids and and I think sometimes it feels like um, a lot of it can be about money or what does it mean to buy back someone when you talk about redemption in the Bible. And he really talked about the idea of a ransom as opposed to a payment is you're redeeming someone's life back from something. 
and there's there's a significant piece of what adoption and foster orphan care is when it comes to those types of things and um and he and god just began to like change my heart and when it came to money and all those things and it really was about um understanding what jesus has done for us and what god has done for us through christ and how he's called us to be that to these children and he will provide when he needs to but we are we are ransoming them back from something that's been incredibly broken and that really just began like it, it moved me to tears right there in my office and there's all these kids out in the gym running around screaming making all i felt like i couldn't leave my office until i got it together um, but for me that was just a moment where i said i don't really know what's next or what that means but I do think we need to walk down this road. So let's start to figure out what that is. Do you want to add anything to that part? Yeah, I think um, just the waiting on my part, like waiting for my spouse to get there. Um, it was like a hard, a hard thing. It was, it was an easy yes for me for whatever reason. God had already done that in my heart. Um, and so I don't know, like I just knew that it was a yes for me. And so waiting for Aaron to get there was difficult, but the day that he came home and it was a yes was like a big, exciting day. And so then there were just a million questions from there, like international, domestic, what age, like, you know, and we were young, we were just babies. I was 23, I think Aaron was 25, 20, 26 maybe. I mean, we were um, just in seminary, Aaron was in seminary and I was just out of college, those things. So. We, we didn't really know what we were doing. We just, yeah. it was a lot of faith and it was really exciting at, at that beginning stage. And I think we just wanted to start early. You know, we want to obey the Lord and we want to do things that are about his kingdom. And if they require sacrifice, that's okay. Uh, we don't want to pursue comfort or um, things that are about us. And we just said we wanted to, to be about those things early on. And so we started kind of pursuing, what does that look like? And, um, and for us, it was always adoption. Just we knew there were so many kids that needed forever families. And, you know, so it was domestic, international. We really just prayed. And I think really our heart for the world and for uh, the unreached is a big part of what led us toward international as opposed to domestic. And a part of that became for us that we wanted to adopt a child from what is considered an unreached nation who might not otherwise have access to the gospel. And so... Um, that really stirred us for international and then even kind of narrowed the pool to a certain handful of countries internationally. And so we started doing research on agencies and things like that. And actually at that time, Gladney, um, of course, was still one of the leaders in the adoption world. And we um, loved what they were doing and wanted to work with them. Um, but we didn't for some of their requirements for, for the program. We didn't qualify. So we had, had really settled on um, I'm trying to remember the order of things here. So we had settled on Vietnam. Mm -hmm. Was it through an agency or was that still just in our thinking at that point? Um, I might have just yeah, it was just in our thinking. thinking. But like we found out that their age requirement, we were too young. Well, to for adopt. Kazakhstan. Yeah, no, so no. Vietnam, something happened in Guatemala and China yeah. at that time. And all of those people basically rolled over to the Vietnam yeah. program and it just became this huge yeah, the list. The wait was going to be so long. And we were like, oh, we can't wait that long. <laughs> and I had, yeah, I mean, it was going to be like two or three years yeah. to wait, which will become funny here in just a minute. Um, but so we, uh, our second choice was Kazakhstan. I had spent some time there in college uh, doing mission work and things like that. And so we just had some familiarity with the country itself. And it's a predominantly Muslim country unreached by the gospel. And 
So we kind of went there second, went to Gladney and, and we didn't, we didn't fit some of the requirements for their program. So wound up with another agency at that point um, and started working through that whole process and kind of halfway, maybe three quarters of the way through our process with them, they went under and just made, I don't even know that they did anything unethical, but I know they made some bad financial decisions and lost everything. And they spent what little money they had left to try to pay off what debts they could. And so we were still not done with our program and even still had some funds to pay in and they were all gone. So, I mean, we'd lost thousands and thousands of dollars. And so we started trying to figure out what's next. Um, and we did reach back out to Gladney and they said, in light of your circumstance, we will make an exception on some of these funds, but there's some things that you just have to pay. They're not fees and things like that. And it wound up being more than we thought we could, you know, come around to. We wound up, I think, having to raise and pay, what, 40 grand or something when it was all said and done. And we just didn't think we could do more there. So we, um, our agency, as they were kind of on the way out, partnered us with a lawyer who's a Kazakh lady who lived in Washington, D.C. And that was a rough road. It was very rough. Um, but by God's grace, he used um, her and some connections and things to get us connected to some people in, in Kazakhstan, which I think we later have not found out for sure, but speculation is high that those were not adoption coordinators. They were actually family members of hers, um, but we didn't know any of that. And there are always a lot of secrets and stuff. So we still don't know a lot of the answers to that, but by God's grace, got that process done. That actually got us to Kazakhstan and they worked all of that stuff out. Um, I'm just gonna keep going, jump in if you want to, I guess. So we um, worked with her, no agency at this point, got to Kazakhstan, started working with these two people um, who, despite all the things they still hold you know a, a special place in our hearts they didn't know what they were doing though no. this was clearly their first time to walk through this process we'd walk into these <laughs> these things to fill out forms and these government offices and they'd start looking around for like what do we do we're like shouldn't you haven't you done this before shouldn't you know where to go and they're like reading the signs on the walls and asking people questions and it never seemed right um and so we kind of working through this process, we had a translator, but we could just tell a lot of things were always secrets. And so we're working through, and the way Kazakhstan did it at that time, I think, um, I don't know what they still, they do now, but it didn't match you before you traveled. They just said, yes, we have kids that match what you're asking for, but you go there and then you actually see kids and then you choose from the kids they show you. And so we saw four kids in one orphanage, one of which wound up being Sam. Um, but none of them fit the, the box that we had requested. And then they took us to another orphanage and showed us four more kids. They, um, I guess they call these baby houses. So four years old and younger were in what they called baby houses. And then five years old and up were in what they called orphanages. So they took us to two baby houses and we saw eight kids total, um, half of which had some pretty significant special needs or were older. I mean, the first two kids that they showed us came skipping into the room holding hands and singing yeah and you could tell beyond a doubt they were they knew what they were doing mm -hmm. they were trying to sell themselves to us i mean it's just heartbreaking yeah we were not in any way prepared for what we were about to walk into we had friends who had adopted um recently before us they were in a different town and different agency and different coordinators and all of that and their story um was 
very different than ours. But, you know, that was kind of like what set our expectation. And we walked into this, like, I don't even know what the words are to say, like, what this was like for us. It was unbelievably I mean, it was shocking. shocking. We're sitting there with some coordinators and, you know, some other things. And these kids come in and we're wondering, we're going like, what is happening? Yeah, we didn't even know. Are are these kids that we're like looking at? Like nobody told us, oh, here's, here comes two kids, you know, like. (laughs) And they wound up bringing another couple kids in, one which was Sam. And they just set him down on the ground and he started crying. And he was the youngest of the crew at that time. Thank you. What was he at that time? He was he was like eighteen months. You know, and we're <laughs> we just were overwhelmed. We didn't know, like yeah. even culturally, like should I get on the floor and like pick this kid up right now? Like, what's what's or would they the be upset with us if we touch to him? Yeah. You know, of course it was heartbreaking. And yeah, no. so we saw these eight kids and then went back. Actually, I skip part of this. This is but so when we got to the country, it's uh, Siberia basically. I mean, there's two feet of snow on the ground that didn't melt most of the time we were there. We get picked up and go flying down this road into the city and then out the other side of the city. And we're wondering what's going on. We get into this kind of little village and this other lady jumps in the car and just squeezes in and neither one of them speak English. So we're, we drive to this, we're thinking we're dead. Yeah. I mean, I'm traveling we have with all this cash. We have like $20,000 of cash on us. <laughs> and you go, well, this is awesome. I think, you know, the precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. It's been good. And so they get us to this hotel, which is two rooms behind a house, which wound up being very nice and had heated floors. It was actually surprising. So we're in this hotel that's like 20 minutes outside of town. It's just two rooms. Um, And so the next day, you know, is when they take us back. So we finished after we see these eight kids, we drive all the way back out to this isolated place. We're just shell-shocked and going man none of these kids even fit into the box of the things we had requested um, by either age or certain special needs or things like that Um, and we just didn't know what to do and honestly I think we weren't expecting it to be some romantic moment where my kids saw me and I saw him and all that but we were expecting it to be like organized and like we would kind of know what we were doing and you know, we understood beforehand we were going to have to choose, but we thought it would be a little bit more. I don't know. We thought the Lord would make it clear to us yeah. that, like, we knew it wasn't going to be some romantic thing, but we just thought, like, God is going to be with us in this. Of course, he was always, but, like, we sense no clear direction from him in that moment. I mean, we're looking at eight kids um, and going, what do we do? <laughs> And we were just overwhelmed and we wept that night. We had two or three conversations about it. And um, then, you know, just did things to distract our, our, our minds. And, and, and even then came back and going, we still have no idea what's going on or what to do. Um, And we kind of talked about a couple of kids and things like that. Um, And really, you know, if, if, if it comes down to it, you know, which one of these kids are we thinking? And I just remember it was that night, maybe the next morning, but I was reading and, um second timothy 1 9 i think is the reference that says um that he didn't that god chose us not by anything that has to do with us or anything that was in us that he would choose us but just by his own purpose and grace and i just felt the spirit say to me in that moment um you know these kids may not all be what you thought they were going to be and there's no ultimate or, or immediate 
connection or attachment or something that draws you to one but that's also not how I chose you. Mm-hmm. I just chose you mm-hmm. and your mind. And it's time for you to be a dad to one of these kids. So put your big boy pants on and let's go do it. I mean, I just felt the Holy Spirit saying that to me. And we kind of talked about that um, and said, this is what this is. You know, yeah. we, we need to make a choice to love a kid. It's not about what we see in them or don't see in them or what, they, what we think this might mean for us. Yeah. This is why God brought us here. And so we kind of narrowed it down to two of the eight and said, man, these are probably the two we feel like, you know, fit us the most. And honestly, still didn't know what we we're going to do. So we went back the next day and said, can we see these, can we hear these two kids' medical files again? Right. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, we thought, okay, we'll hear the medical information and then we'll know. Like, okay, then the Lord will make it clear. Well, the doctors were like clearly in a rush that morning, like had hardly any time to sit down with us. So they just flew through all this medical information, which, you know, is super patchy and we don't like these terms that we don't even know. And they're not even like American medical terms, you know, they're just these words that we don't know what they mean. And then it's like, okay, who do you want? You know? So we had gone out in the hall. Well, we said, uh, can we have like 10 minutes? (laughs) They're sitting there staring at us. And we said, can we have like 10 minutes? And so they, yeah, we went out in the hall. And just the two of us were like, here it is. We're in this moment. We're deciding which kid we want. And we really didn't feel a sense mm-hmm. of certainty about either one of those yeah. two. And we we're like, man, we thought God would make it more clear than this. And we're just, you know, it's basically on us now to just choose. And so yeah. we kind of talked that out. And honestly, you know, we, we weren't even necessarily seeing things the same way. Um, and we kind of just talked and talked and okay. This is going to be, okay, we're going to go with this one. Yeah. Well, should we at least okay. like pray sure. about it? You yeah. know, so we prayed and said, God, I guess this is what we're going to do. Show us right now. If this isn't what you want us to do, got done praying. Like, okay, I guess that's it. God didn't say anything. Oh, so this so is it. Hard. This sounds so hard. Yeah. So we went back in and said, we'll take that one. Um, like a, you know, a car, you know, so we said, all right, we think this is what we need to do. They took us up and we got to see him right away. Yeah. And those moments were like, he was terrified and, you know, he cried a lot. He didn't know us. Um, so we didn't push it very long that first day. We just stayed a few minutes. Um, but then from there on, like we came to visit him. We were in, in country for three months, but for the next two months, we came back and visited him twice a day, two hours in the morning and two hours in the evening and just really grew like we loved we loved him he he he, when we met him he wasn't walking he was 18 months wasn't walking he had no words nothing all he did was grunt and groan and I think our day two he took his first steps um, which was huge and then we started signing with him a little bit and then he started like just like just like a baby like like I would took notes, like he said, mm, today, you know, he said all these different new sounds and his first words. So it's pretty special to be a part of like those first moments with him and watching like, him grow so fast. Yeah. Just responding to personal interaction. Yeah. Cause uh, to be fair, like I think Kazakhstan at that time, at least was like well known for, for trying and having reasonable orphanages. Um, and they were painted, they were bright. It, was it wasn't like that yeah. dark, um, eerie feeling you, you hear about, um, but they had 10 or 12 kids in his little class or his room or whatever. 
to two caretakers that were constantly changing, you know? And so um, we were, you know, they, they just could only do so much, basically meet their immediate needs. And so um, when we started interacting with him, we just saw him responding and, um, you know, He's awesome. He's yeah, such yeah, he's a great little man. I mean, like, there's a lot of his story, even in those early days that are, you know, like you've said before, it's his to tell. But I think one unique thing is, like, he had never even, he went from being born to the baby house and had never went outside, let alone left it. He'd never been outside of it. Yeah, we put shoes on him to take him out in the snow one day, and you thought we would have tied, like, lead bricks to his feet he couldn't walk like he didn't know how to move in them mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so I mean he's having all these first-time experiences so their process is you have two weeks of bonding and then you go to court and then they have the hearings and then two weeks of kind of waiting time and then they have the final decision and so we did all of those things I mean living in in Kazakhstan and um, we had a lot of pressure from some of their, our coordinators and their government people to say and do certain things. It's a longer story, um, but we just things we didn't feel comfortable with that we just had to prayerfully go, okay, we got to do what's right. And we're just going to trust the Lord. Um, we're going to, you know, trust him with the outcome. And each time he honored that and kept us moving through the process. And so, yeah, we got the adoption decree and then had to, you have a waiting time. And then we had some uh, immigration stuff which I'm sure was due to our our brand new coordinators if you you know coordinators in quotes <laughs> and uh, so we wound up with an extra month after all of that before that we just couldn't even get him out of the country and then finally got all of that stuff settled and it had kind of started to turn to spring the pond which we walked across every day to get to the orphanage had finally melted I mean you walk by you see guys ice fishing in it I mean it's that kind of place it's cold and dark um, old Soviet, um, this, this like veil of, of Islam. I mean, it was, so spring had kind of come and, uh, finally we got the word to go, um, home. And so we went to another one of their main city where the U S embassy is where you do all the paperwork. And so these are Americans in this place and you walk in and they're speaking perfect English and it looks like America. And they've got these big old smiles and it like hit us like, you're one of the only people we've mm -hmm. seen smile in three months. Yeah. And he's like, well, we love being on the end of this process. We get to be the people that bear good news, you know? And so we got all of our documents and a few more days. And then we finally flew home to America. And when he touched down on American soil, he was an American citizen. So yeah. That's that part of the journey for us. Um, that's bringing him home. <laughs> Hi, I'm Laurie Henthorne, Donor Engagement Manager at TBHC Foster Care and Adoption. Did you know that there are over 6,000 children waiting for adoption in Texas today? And did you know that there are only about 1,000 willing foster adoptive homes licensed and available to them? These children are coming from hard places and are needing a place to heal. We at TBHC strive to provide homes where they'll feel safe and loved and where they can begin their healing process. What if you could play a part in changing these statistics? TBHC depends on people like you to help change the course of these children's lives. You could open your heart and home to them, or you could come alongside them and help provide for the parent's training or for specialized therapy for a child through your financial support. We invite you to visit our website, tbhc.org, to find out more about us, hear inspiring stories and ways to pray for TBHC families, 
and to find out how you can be a part of bringing kids home. That's bringing him home. <laughs> and there's, there's much, much <laughs> there's, more to that, that story. Yeah, that's how we got him home. Yeah, so he was, uh, was he 21 months at that time? 22 months when we got him back to America. So um, that's really neat. Yeah. So I'm blown away by y'all's story. Yeah. I mean, you almost embody some people's worst nightmares of adopting. You know that, obviously. But I also think that you embody yeah. everyone's greatest joys in just the uncertainty and realizing that love doesn't really have to have certainty to exist. Yeah. How was your faith tested very specifically? And what do you think you learned the most from that in dependence on the Lord? Yeah, so we got home and things were, um, obviously there's transition and trauma kids and things, you know, stuff that you kind of, you, you generally, generally, generically know. Um, it's a lot of, some of those things happen with us transition wise, but it was generally okay. And then um, things started to get a little bit more difficult a little while in. It was after we had um, our first biological kiddo, when we had Juliet, um, things started to get a little rocky with Sam. Yeah, just bumpier, a lot of behaviors. And so at this time, our agency was gone. We didn't have any support systems at all and had not been trained very well. And we're just doing the parenting methods we knew. Um, and so we were you know, spanking and even, you know, other things that just were not, we were definitely not getting better. We were getting worse. And then we moved to Waxahachie to plant our church here. And I mean, we went, it started going, it started spiraling downhill quickly and aggressively. <laughs> to, yeah. I mean, I don't even know how long that lasted before we felt like we were at the bottom and it was, it might not have been a, a full months. year. Yeah, yeah, it was a couple months. And then we just felt like we're going off the rails and we cannot figure out how to stop, not only get it back on, we can't figure out how to stop the train. And we were, I don't think we were ever at the point of, of terminating the adoption or anything like that, but whatever one level up from that of being, we're at the end of our rope. We have no idea what to do. And we are drowning yeah and we reached out to gladney and just said can you please help us we don't know where to turn and they actually partnered us up with a counselor that we still use now who is um, one of our favorite people on the planet mm -hmm. her name's paula st john and she was on staff with them and was transitioning into a, a private practice and was trained in tbri trust-based relational intervention um, from Dr. Karen Purvis and the Connected Child and TCU Institute of Child Development and all that. Um, and so she said, yeah, I'll work with you. And, uh, and she started helping us. She came in and gave us some practical, she's like, y'all about to die. So here's some help. There's survival strategies yeah, really get, in the beginning. To get through a day. And then we're also going to work on the bigger picture. And, uh, and honestly, we were like, oh, whatever, just tell us, please help. Mm -hmm. And so little by little, we started surviving a little bit more with some of the strategies she gave us, but it really pushed us into this world of trauma and that comes from abuse and neglect and all the other factors that come in here and how deeply and drastically that has affected our kids and how they don't see the world or process love or fear or any of those things the way that we do. 
and and so we have to approach them from a very very different standpoint as people and as parents um, but throughout that whole journey we were in a dark and difficult place in our family um, i know charity really was mm -hmm. and she can talk more about that um, of just going well, again like we weren't going to quit our adoption and i don't think we were going to quit on the lord but beyond that we were going we're drowning and we have no idea what to do from here while we're planting a church yeah yeah so your question was like what has the lord like taught us through this our tested faith yeah and i yeah i think in that season for me i don't know like i've always been like you know quote unquote like a a good little christian girl like i've always been faithful i never rebelled like i've um I don't know. And, and like my theology just wasn't that deep. So, I mean, I was pretty sure that God like owed us something here, you know, like we here, we stepped out in faith and went and did this really hard thing. And how could you let this be our story? How could it, we, how could we be here? How, like, like you're supposed to defeat the giant when you say okay to a hard thing. Yeah just super shallow like just not a true and good understanding of like god's character and um trials and his sovereignty i mean there were many days you remember we were like looking at each other going this kid this this is the one this is the one i mean there were days where i was like we blew it we picked the wrong kid you know or what what were we even thinking that we did like we've ruined our lives and the lives of our child and any child that comes along the way like um this was this was like my dark my darkest days um and like i hit like a little low point of depression which was not at all my story ever before this was new for me um and i just like had real questions about the goodness of the lord like I, like I know in my head that you are good and you do right things and that you love me. I don't feel one ounce of that in my soul or my heart to any degree. It just like, I was, I was flailing. Well, and I think for me too, I was struggling, but in a completely different kind of way. I wasn't depressed. Um, I was at, I was at the end of my rope and didn't know what God was doing and could not see a way out. And I'm trying to deal with my wife, who's really, really struggling. And then I didn't feel the way she did. And so yeah, we hard. had a hard time connecting because she just wanted me to understand and feel some of that with her. And uh, you just kept trying to fix it. <laughs> well, I think I knew, you know, like as a guy, like the first thing they tell you in premarital counseling is don't try to fix everything. But I, so I don't think I was just no. trying, just right. trying to fix right. it, but I was like trying to encourage her mm -hmm. with the scriptures or remind her that God is still in control and, and those kind of things. And I don't know that she doubted that intellectually, but she, again, like she said, I think she just, she wasn't feeling that. And her reality was that God isn't those things and he's not going to do any yeah. of those things. And so I'm struggling, she's struggling. Yeah. We're not struggling together. And our marriage, I wouldn't say like we ever really had any significant trouble. We just were not um, like connected in our struggle. Yeah, it was so painful. We I felt kind of very isolated. And even like my husband who is walking through the same things with me doesn't understand where I am. It was, um, yeah, it was hard. We have since, so well, I'll just say this part of the story, like 
the, we went to counseling later and our counselor asked us like, how did you get out of that? And the, I don't, like, I didn't do any of the things you're supposed to do. Like I didn't start taking medicine or supplements. I didn't start exercising and eating right. I just felt like the Lord picked me up out of that and just said, that's enough. Like she's about to die. Like that's enough. And, um, and so I say often to people like 95% of what the Lord has ever taught me about himself. He has taught me through this little boy and these circumstances. And I can say now, like that was, that was the darkest season. It's like hard for me, even emotionally right now, like thinking about how dark that was and how painful that was. Um, but like, I can say that I'm glad for it because of what the Lord has accomplished in my heart and has taught me about his sovereignty and his goodness and his faithfulness and what like his presence with me is all that I need. But I was looking more for like, solutions to my problems and like missing out on the relationship that he was offering to me in the midst of that. Um, I don't know. It's profound. Yeah. Like what the Lord did in me and taught me is profound. Well, and I'll say too, like to a husband out there who may wrestle through our situation or it could be a wife, if it's reversed, I was trying to, you um, may even call it fix, but like encourage with scriptures and different things like that. They were only making it worse. I just had somebody finally counsel me and go, all you can do is pray. The Lord can fix it. And really all you can do. And I just stopped doing all those other things. And I loved her and we were friends. You know, we did the best we could, but I just prayed. And I don't know, you know, what difference my prayers made or didn't. Um, but I think I had to get to a place where I could trust God with that. And I think we both had to come through that going, do we want the Lord for what he will give to us, which could be like some great blessings or in that situation, it was, we want him to give us relief from the hard stuff and from some of the dark places we were. That's what we want more than we want him. And I think God, um, he purposefully needed us to go to, to that dark place to go. What is it that we really want and love the most? Do we want him or do we want what he can give to us? Mm -hmm. And we had to come to a place of contentedness and going, if this is all it ever is, will we still follow him and love him? Mm -hmm. And um, those are hard days. I mean, we had days where I think, remember going to some groups of, of guys and things, and we'd say, like, our win for this week is that we had two days in a row that didn't feel excruciating. Yeah. And then that might be the only two days like that in a month or something. And like people asking questions, and I'd go, I know beyond the shadow of a doubt, God is teaching me things and doing things in my spirit, but it's so hard and so bad, you know, because people will say, man, God's doing, it's hard, but I wouldn't change it. And I had a lot of days where I was like, I'm not sure if I could, will say that I'm, yeah. we might be done here. Yeah. And if I could break. undo it. Yeah. Like I'm not going to send the kid back, but if God can sovereignly somehow change this, I might take that. Yeah. You know, and, and I think we need to say in this too, like it wasn't him. It wasn't yeah. Sam. Oh. It was us. It was our lack of faith. It was our uh, immaturity. And our our naiveness about like how to help him. <laughs> we didn't know what we were getting yeah. into. We were dealing with so many layers of stuff that was our stuff that was yeah. affecting our expectations with him, how we parented him, our lack of ability to let go of certain things. 
it was us, yeah. but it was affecting him, yeah. which was affecting us even more deeply. And we've come through it and realized those things now that it never was him, even though there was misbehavior, there were things that are there, but all of the struggle yeah. was, was things in our right. heart That's right. that was leading to it. There's, I want to just add to that. Like, I feel like this was after we had seen a counselor and he had counseled us this way, but like on still, we had hard days. So after we got out of this like pit of despair, um, it, everything wasn't peachy. Like we had, we had huge wins and we were celebrating things all the time, but we definitely still had days. I mean, my like hard days looked like me on the floor in my closet in the fetal position, weeping, like uncontrollably like weeping or weeping outside of his bedroom door or just I just in such a, a hard place but our counselor said okay she just needs you to be with it in her and you don't have to feel the things that she's feeling but like Aaron came home and could sense like that I had had a hard day or I was in a hard place and he just come wrap his arms around me and just hug me and go I'm sorry your day was so hard I'm here you know, and that changed everything. And, and it may not be a hug for everybody. It may be something different, but just that was a way for him to like enter into my world and say, I'm with you. And that's all I needed from him. And that, I feel like that strengthened our connection and um, like friendship because, because now we were walking through it together, at least like arm in arm, it felt like to me. Um so I don't know, that was a big, a big change for us and how we related to each other, I guess. Yeah, and I think when it comes to our faith, you know, we, God is really, I don't say this flippantly, God has really refined our character and our faith in him through these hard things. And like Charity said, most of what he's ever taught us about ourselves has come through yeah. this parenting journey, you know, but I think it's it's like a profound one it's not just well things got better and right. i think to somebody who might you know who who knows our story or who might would be you know listening to a story like this and either feels like you're in the same spot or is afraid of what might be ahead i just think that god his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom it's not about earth it's not about comfort it's not about what we can have here and he wants us to love him and care much more about his kingdom than any other thing. And when we get over the hump, like we're, I think a lot of us in Christianity are trying to be that person, but we're not really. And I think when we get over that hump and go, okay, I'm all in, I'm still struggling. I still have days where that's hard, but I'm gonna be all in on that. There's a kind of joy that comes, you know, rejoicing in suffering, comes through suffering that you just can't have the other way. And God is doing something more profound and more long lasting than our temporary comfort. And he wants us to be a part of that. And even like in Romans 8, his, you know, we talk about Romans 8, 28 a lot, like he works for the good of those who love him and call it according to his purpose. And then in that same context, he says the highest good there is that we would be made into the image of Christ. And he says that he does that by allowing us to go through suffering. And that's really hard, but that's how he makes us like Christ. And that's being like Christ is what's for our greatest joy. And it's what's for his glory when we live that way. And then you just go into all these kids who need homes and families. And 
And we talk about this sometimes too, Isaiah 53, where it says, by his wounds, we are healed. That he's the one who bore our sin and shame as his wounds in order for us to be healed. And so we're not Jesus. We need to be careful not to be heretics, but but he gives us the opportunity to bear the wounds on behalf of these children so that they can be healed because someone's going to have to. There's no healing for them unless someone's willing to bear their wounds with them. And that's what he's called us to as adults and as adoptive and foster parents. Yeah, I was thinking of that same scripture and the Lord, like how he used it to just break my heart in the middle of this. Like, am I willing to be crushed? Because I I feel like I am, but it wasn't a willingness. Like, am I willing to bear these things, you know, um, with joy? I think the, um, the pictures of the gospel inside of adoption are endless, like, endless like who who I am still like to my father is a little kid who kicks and screams against his will and like fights because I think I know what's best and I'm going to take care of myself those are the same things that we're fighting against with our you know like I started to see myself and my kid in that relationship with the Lord and I don't know there's just like such a tenderness when we, when we see God for who he is and like what he has endured on our behalf, you know, I don't know. Well, and like every parent has this story, like you see things in your kids that reflect you. And maybe, you know, if we're parenting kids who come from trauma, maybe we have more hard parenting experiences. I don't know, but I mean, things will happen all the time where I'm so frustrated and I just feel like the Lord goes, man, I know somebody like that, you know? And so I think, like Charity said, parenting in general, and especially a hard parenting journey, God has used it to sanctify us and teach us about himself and given us, you know, you talked, I guess the original question an hour and a half ago when I started talking was, <laughs> how has this affected our faith? And I feel like God's not, not just that he's allowed our faith to be tested, or maybe even he's tested our faith, if you want to go there theologically, but that he's actually given us a, a kind of faith on the other side of these things that really wasn't even in our grasp on the other side of that mountain. Yeah. And it's hard, but. I think so much so. So you hear our story and go, okay, well, why the heck would you ever dare to like walk back through this door again? And there were years where it was a big, no, no way, no way, no way. I can't. And, um, And I think just the fact that we're here is a testimony to like God's grace and his work in our hearts over these years. We are not going in naive this time. We have eyes wide open to what the situation could be. And, um, but God has done it anyways. One of the things that you have expressed here that just, I think everyone needs to really hear is they have permission to have hard times. They have permission that during adoption, it is going to be difficult. Is there anything you'd say to encourage to face that, encourage people to face that hard time? I think you need a, you need your people, you need safe people. 
Um, and for us, the first person who ever gave me permission to actually verbalize and say out loud the things that were in my heart, because they were so filthy and terrifying to me, like what sin was brought to the surface in this um, thing, <laughs> this whole process were terrifying. I never thought I was capable of rage or like hatred or I don't know. There were things coming out of me that scared me, but, um, but our therapist said, you like, you need to go there with the Lord and whether it is like you write these things down in a journal and then you burn it or you say them out loud. And honestly, like the shower kind of became my place and I would weep, I would weep, um, in the shower and I would say the words out loud, like that were in my heart. And cause I didn't, I didn't know where to put them. Like, I didn't know, I, I knew I wasn't supposed to feel those. Like, I'm a good Christian girl, right? Like, so I'm supposed to not feel these certain things, but here they are. And like, the Lord can handle that. And what it did in my heart was like, just open up this new space of vulnerability in my relationship with the Lord, where I wasn't, there was like, there's no facade anymore. Like, it's like, I knew he already knew it, but to like, speak it out loud and confess it and tell it to him just like opened up something different and unique in my relationship with him I realized that he could handle it I started realizing that he's walked walked the road before and it just there was an intimacy that was like found in that place you know when I think we all feel like there's certain things that are we shouldn't feel or we shouldn't think and so when those things come and I, I think the expectation needs to be right, that they're probably coming. You know, a lot of life is about expectations. So I think we need, and then when people hear these hard stories, I don't, we, we always try to be careful and go, we don't want to talk you out of it. You should still do it. You just need to go in with your eyes open. But when those days come where you think and feel those difficult things, you start to feel like it's not okay for me to feel these things. And so we we feel guilty and shame or we try so hard not to feel them and we sure as heck don't tell anybody. I just think the reality is like whether you should or you shouldn't feel them, maybe they're even sinful, you do. So there, it doesn't do you any good to think I shouldn't feel this way. Let me try to suppress this. You just need to acknowledge that you do. And like Charity said, God is big enough to handle those things. He already knows anyway. He would rather us be honest about it and run to him and just admit where we're at. And then I think the second part is when we feel those things, we don't want anybody to know either because we feel shameful or embarrassed or our caseworker can't know about this or the people at my church can't know that I, you know, feel this way. And I just think we have to get past that and find a safe person or group where we can go. I just need to say that I do feel this way. Yeah. And it's like, it has this power over us. The longer we're trying not to let people know, the worse it is. But when we just put it out there into the light, it loses all of its power. And all of a sudden you start to get better and you find people who can help. And I think you also find other people who feel the exact same way. They just were afraid to say it too. And when somebody's honest, everybody else goes, oh my gosh, I feel the same way. And all of a sudden you just let the air out of everything but we've got to be willing to yeah. kind of take a few of those hard steps and just acknowledge what it is to get there. I think, I, I mean, we've said it already, but like you do need to have safe people because there's, it's easy for someone to um, like 
cast judgment or condemn or tell your story or those things. So you need to be wise and discerning about what you say to people. I think it's okay to let everyone know that you're struggling, but some of those very, very deep wounding, wounded places like need just the safest people. And I think even like when it comes to, um, we'd be embarrassed about certain things that was happening with our kid or with us in front of people. I think you just have to get to a place where this is a lot easier said than done, but where you're just not so worried about what people think and you're not trying to please people and you go, Hey, we are, we are, you know, and, and like, I'm sorry, this is this way, but it is this way. (laughs) This is how this is going to be around us, or I'm not going to try to hide my kid or fix this. Hey, we're working on it at home. We're doing everything we think is right. And so we're just going to be okay with that. And if we're not up to everybody else's standards, we're just going to be okay with that. That's really powerful. I want to thank you all for joining me today. And uh, I'd love to have you come back and share a little bit more next time. Would that be okay? Yeah, it'd be great. Yeah. Thank you for joining us. If you would like to get in touch with today's guest or any of our previous guests, you can contact us through our email, podcast at tbhc.org. That's podcast at tbhc.org. Leave us a comment, recommend a guest to our show, and give us a five-star review wherever you listen. And don't forget to subscribe. For more information, check out our website, tbhc.org, and discover how you can participate in bringing kids home.